0: The Blue Bomber Podcast. That is, wow, that's
1: fantastic. I like that. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or
2: at cjob.com. It's almost like homecoming week in Saskatchewan. GMAC, DT with you. It is the Blue Bomber Podcast with the uh, voice of the Blue Bombers, Derek Taylor. Yours truly and uh, DT, of course, you were the former voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Before we recap what happened at IG Field on Thursday night, past, talk about what this game means to the fans of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders.
0: Oh, it's it's just a total love fest, right? Like, and they'll they'll keep the good memories with them, and you know, you push aside the the ones like, hey, Saskatchewan came in in twenty twenty one, probably the Winnipeg came in in twenty twenty one. And wipe their feet all over our carpet and just made a mess of our place uh and smashed us into the ground. They'll forget stuff like that and they'll they'll flash back to Brett Lather in 2019, kicks the winning field goal and starts crushing beers in pill country, right? It's 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 their big celebration. They get the whole CFL kind of week to themselves with the game being on the Sunday. There's the two on the Monday, there's the one on the Saturday or whenever they play that non-rivalry game but yeah sunday is all for the riders to show off this is our stadium these are our colors this is our team and and let's go as a season you know people still believe the season truly doesn't get underway until labor day so saskatchewan i think rider fans get to get to feel like hey we're we're celebrating us on this weekend
2: so we're gonna flip the script on the podcast altogether. I think uh, Saskatchewan com- coming into this game five and five, the blue bombers moving to nine and two, but the Labor Day stats are are ugly, D T since two thousand. Six wins for the good guys, those will be the guys in blue and gold, sixteen okay. wins for the Green Riders, including eleven in a row from two thousand five through 2015. Now, you point out what the Blue Bombers did in 2019, but uh, last year, they also managed a victory. So, uh, two games in the last three Mm -hmm. years on Labor Day, the Bombers win them back-to-back wins in Regina for the first time in a long time.
0: Yeah, 2021 was an absolutely dominant win. Uh, 2022 was, oh man, look at this kick from Mark Leggio from 55 yards, and the Bombers end up squeaking that one out 20 to 18 you know that was that was a lot tougher slog I think than than last year's bombers team had expected to get from sask and yet they you know they had the the fortitude and everything to to pull that one out and if you wonder does Mike O'Shea believe in Mark Leggio Whew, a 55yard attempt in the banjo bowl with Mario alford standing in the end zone snap good kick is up going and going and it's good mark Leggio from 55 to give the bombers the 2018 lead that's incredible what a pressure and clutch kick by mark Leggio. that's a huge moment for him in his career doug let's do the three minute warning because i got to calm down from that Winnipeg 20, Saskatchewan 18. As much as, uh, as you say, since 2000, heavily in favor of the riders. But ever since Zach Kalaris came to Winnipeg, it's just been all Winnipeg all the time. And some of them haven't been real close. Even, even excluding the food poisoning banjo bowl of last year or whatever, whatever it was that made all those riders sick it's been just straight dominance from the, uh, from the bombers, the West final in 2021, right? Bombers turned it over six times in the game and still, if not by a lot of points, we're still very comfortable in winning that one. So it's been, it's been great times for, for bomber fans. The Well, honestly, since Kalara showed up in Winnipeg.
2: I'm trying to think of it's 2017 or 2018. When did Willie come to Winnipeg? I want to say it was after the 2017 season.
0: Ooh, cuz Toronto was courting him. Uh was it after I'll Was it at, Was it was it for 19 in time for 2019, yeah, in the 2019 off season. Like okay. He was doing the full tour.
2: Okay, so let's go back to 2018. Willie Jefferson playing in green yeah. and white. Uh, on the banjo bowl, or in the banjo bowl, to be more uh, English correct. Uh, Matt Nichols uh, does his uh, Zach Caleros and Edmonton imitation, trying to make something out of nothing. And Willie Jefferson takes the ball all the way back for a touchdown, sort of taunts the Blue Bomber offense, dances, waltzes, Airplanes into the Blue Bomber end zone. And I have to believe, and I believe in my heart of hearts, that was the play that Wade Miller and company looked at Willie Jefferson and said, we need to get him on our team.
1: Second down and four. Nichols back to pass. Over the middle, intercepted by Willie Jefferson. And he may go. He's to the 55, the 50, the 40. Darvin Adams is chasing... And Jefferson still down to the ten. He's to the five, and he's going to score.
0: I forget how we stumbled into tickets to the to the game, and I just spent most of the game kind of walking around the concourse and talking to people and meeting people. But I, I did manage to see Willie just ripping away from everybody. You're know, like, oh, that's that's not great because I had I had a particular take on Matt Nichols' skill set, which wasn't popular in these parts. Um, game manager. It was, it was, <clears throat> Yeah, well, eg- exactly. I I had described it as like eighty percent Trevor Harris, but that's that's
2: a whole other. Oh, <laughs> oh, you got really deep into it.
0: <laughs> exactly. So, um, yeah, I remember at halftime, uh, still walking around, walking around the South End, and a uh, uh, Matt Nichols. I I wish I could remember what the PSA was for, but a Matt Nichols PSA comes up on the on the big screen, and the fans just start booing to start booing, the guy's, the guy's doing good for his community by shooting this video, and he's just getting booed because that play where he, he just tosses it right to Willie, I, I'm not sure I've seen it in a few years, but it just, my brain did not compute trying to figure out what Matt Nichols' brain was doing in that moment. And I don't know that I, I have to, I, I got to go back and look at it at some point because it just made no sense from a professional, you know, a professional football player, Matt Nichols level, right? Who's, I mean, you're in a CFL, you're good at football, but that one just, it, it broke my brain. It will, it will always be the Matt Nichols game to me.
2: That's an interesting uh, way to look at it. And an interesting way to put it. Uh, I just knew uh, personally, just as a fan, watching Willie do that. This is a special player. You know, I, I think he was hidden in Edmonton to a certain extent. And uh, what he did in Saskatchewan, I think, really put Willie Jefferson on the map. And then what he's done with the Blue Bombers ever since has just been extraordinary, in my estimation. You probably back me up on that. Willie Jefferson, one of the dominant players. Right? He's been remember, like. Remember the- you know the come on the down to winnipeg to and the everything that goes yeah. with the with the flamboyance but i mean seriously since he came to the blue bombers he's one been one of the top 3 4 stars in this league let alone on a team that's won two and been to three straight grey cups
0: yeah absolutely and and his uh, he's become a bigger star here than than i think he would have Cause toronto if i remember correctly toronto went super hard for him and toronto offered Bo Levi Mitchell, all the money in the world in that 19 offseason. Um, I feel like I, I'm, I'm not sure that timeline is 100% correct, but I, the Willie thing was we're going to make you the highest paid defensive player in the league. Here's all the money you could you could possibly get in the CFL. Here you go. Something. It was some exorbitant number, and and he decided, no, that doesn't work for me. I'm going go to go to Winnipeg, and he's become an enormous star here, right? And, and I don't think – there certainly wouldn't have been the same local attention in Toronto that there, that there is here in Winnipeg. He might've been able to get a little more national attention just being in Toronto and that's where TSN is at. But he, I mean, if you, if you were to see him around town, if you see him, you know, after practice when there's a random, it's a random day where there's a group visiting practice and Willie's just just in love with, with meeting people and talking to people and just being of the people. And, you know, you can just talk to him about anything. He's, yeah, he's such a massive, massive star. And if he, you know, a couple more years here and, you know, as James Murphy goes into the Bombers ring of honor, remember GMAC last year, we did the the broadcast, uh, the pregame show where we went, how many guys in this current team are going into the ring of honor one day? And I mean, Willie is Willie is certainly on a, on a path toward that for sure. He's been unbelievable here, on and off the field.
2: Winnipeg Blue Bombers in eleven games have scored three hundred forty four points. They've allowed two hundred twenty five, and some of those at least we've got three. I think Zach's thrown three pick sixes so we can, you know, take it down to 207 and and nitpick about a few other points here and there. So the Bombers, in my mind, the defense has given up under 200 points to this point in the season. Saskatchewan has barely scored 200 in their 10 games. The Bombers have played one more game. But all of a sudden, is Saskatchewan in this conversation to maybe battle BC for, dare I say it, second place in the West? no <laughs> for, <laughs> okay fair me, fair well just a question
0: it, it's, it's not, yeah not and i don't think it's through any fault of their own it's just if they had trevor harris i might think so because m- remember that week two game harris was on fire he had one of the best passes of the cfl season
2: and then he had he one of the right over <laughs> then he had one of the worst they <laughs> got hurt on right fair enough
0: yeah absolutely but uh, if I, if it was Trevor Harris, I would buy it. But I mean, they're down to number three, right? The story of the CFL season is is probably going to be that th- this is the third quarterback year of you know Jake Dolagala and Taylor Powell, and then uh, Tyree Adams in in Ottawa who looked good, but then he got hurt, and now they're on to number four, right? Everybody's so deep in their quarterbacks, and I mean, Jake Dolagala was number three for a reason in Saskatchewan, behind Fine, behind Trevor Harris, so. I, I I always kind of approach it like, okay, these, a guy can look good for a game, but what are you going to do, one, when you play one of the elite teams, and two, a defense that, while there have been spots where you go, mm, you know, that, I don't love that guy getting open deep, they're just absolutely dominating teams. The best point differential in the CFL. And uh, that's really – as I ca- kind of try to uh, approach looking ahead to a matchup, or you know, even further away to the playoffs, I end up looking at point differential more than I'll look at record. Yeah, because there's we could go into the whole Pythagorean theorem of points in sports, but we we won't. But points for and against are a pretty good indicator of what your record should be and how good you sh- you you truly are. Bombers are what plus one nineteen, best in the CFL. They, and eight nine and two. Okay, nine and two might be a little outsized for that point differential, but it's it's pretty close. Saskatchewan is five and five, being outscored by their opponents by sixty-two points. And you're five and five. Five and five, and despite the, the massive negative point differential, I go, they're not they're not a great team. They're winning close games, but that that will regress over times because close games are essentially There's luck factors that go into that, and they're getting whomped in the other games, right? They lose to the Bombers by 18, I think it was, in week number two. They have some good parts about them, but when you're on quarterback number three and you're still dealing with the injuries that Sask is dealing with, like at receiver and inconsistent offensive line, I just – the Bombers are – I'm honestly surprised the line's only seven and a half for this one as you and I are talking.
2: Well, I think that has a lot to do with the unknown, the intangibles. Uh, unless maybe Vegas doesn't look at it that way, but you have to wonder if they're factoring in the, you know, the history of this game. I know it's not supposed to matter, but somehow it does.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, twenty to eighteen last year, and what was it, twenty three to eight? When I talk of the the whomping in twenty twenty one, I think it was. I think the score was only twenty three to eight. And then the follow-up, the Bowl was like thirty-three to nine. You know, okay, well that's actually that's that is that is low scoring. So yeah, I I think that's. I think you're probably right as to why the line is only you know a touchdown being in Sask. But yeah, there's there's not much. I'm just trying to think of the places where Saskatchewan is strong. Defensive line. Well, I think the Bombers are stronger on defensive line. Linebacker. Okay. Oof. Linebacker, I think probably the Bombers are stronger. Coverage, that's probably – that might be the closest one. Offensive line, no no match. Um, receiver, it's the Bombers over everybody. Running back, I like Jamal Morrow, but running back is a product of the offense. So Brady Oliveira and the, and the Winnipeg run game. Quarterback. I, 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 special teams, okay, maybe special teams coverage is sask. But so I, I just – and none of this is to say that well, Winnipeg's guaranteed to win because I know that'll freak you out, Jack. I know, and I respect <laughs> it'll freak you out. But you just look at it and go, okay, one team at this moment to me seems significantly better than the other. And all the weird things can happen, right? We all lived through the twenty twenty one West Final, where the Bombers turned it over six times in a horrific snowstorm in Winnipeg, uh, and, and that's that's the kind of thing that being having better players, better team gives you is the ability to. Have a game go that poorly and you can still win it. I don't know if they're that profoundly different as they were on that day, uh, because Winnipeg was a well, you can say Winnipeg was a, just a wagon that day. But this this year's defense is is really. Wish I could point out the number of weeks this year's defense is really coming on and just turning teams out. Six points the Alouettes put up in 120 minutes of football. Six
2: the Blue Bomber defense hasn't given up a touchdown in nine quarters. And I don't care what, you know, I don't care what league you're playing in. When your defense goes nine quarters without giving up a major score, that's something to crow about. And I'm not going to say that's 2019 or 2021 level, I guess more 2021 level uh, play at this point because there are still I think a, a few too many question marks for us to to lump them in with those teams so, you know the late season 2019 team and with the magic and that was 2021 on the defense for this blue and gold uh, club but you know there are elements there and we're seeing it you know almost like it's growing dt that I don't even think this this team has reached its peak on defense. I think they're still finding themselves a little bit.
0: I would say so. Kyrie Wilson's been back a couple games now. They seem like they're pretty settled on the ba- in the back six with Reddick Cramby having taken over for Alden Darby's spot. And uh, with Winston Rose with the interception this past week, right, that field corner spot, I feel like, okay, even even if Desmond Lawrence uh, returns off the six-game injured list in, the, in a few weeks, I feel like Actually, you know what? They're probably pretty settled here. They may do some tinkering depth-wise. But, yeah, I mean, for as long as Willie Jefferson and Jackson Jeffcoat are manning the ends, it's it, – I, I don't know what you do with that when, when you're an opposing offense because those guys are absolutely holy terrors. I had to pull it up. Um, opponent Opponent offensive points, Winnipeg is now number one. It was BC for a long time, and then, of course, the 50 that Winnipeg <laughs> hung on them but uh this this is think of how good this year's defense feels and you go they're allowing 16 and a half offensive points per game and then you think back to 2021 and that number was like 12 whether it was 11 something or 12 you go oh my gosh they were that much tighter in 2021 that year. that was a crazy year and to even be you know, To even think you could be close to that is is something, because that was a historically great defense. This year's one has some things going on that give me some pause when it comes to a single game, but overall, just
2: dominant. 2021, 14 regular season games that year, correct? Correct. And I think the Blue Bombers held their opposition scoreless in the fourth quarter, seven of the 14 games. Is that possible?
0: There was there was something I remember because this this goes back to a betting story. It, it was something like in games where the Bombers cared about it. They in the fourth quarter they'd outscored their opponents like ninety eight to six. So when it came <laughs> to the uh, the playoffs in the Grey Cup, I was talking with my buddies. I'm like, look at these lines in the fourth quarter. Like you can bet specifically on the fourth quarter how many points a team will score and what will be you know who who if the Bombers will win that quarter. You're like just hammer everything on the Bombers dominating the fourth quarter because they were incredible in that time. And it was like, they allowed six points and there was a game they didn't care about a couple probably at the end, like 12 games plus the playoffs, like they allowed six points. It was, they just, they were the definition of, they talk a ton about it and and folks have certainly heard it. Uh, if they've been listening to the Bombers plenty of time, Richie Hall talks about zero, one and three. Let's mm. if they're going to get some points, we want them to have zero points, one point, or three points. They don't even—they rarely even mention seven. I'm not sure I've ever heard them mention <laughs> giving up seven, right? It's a zero, one, three. That's that's what Richie Hall will say: zero, one, three. And man, they they lived it that year, and and this year it's it's not much further off because, like you say, nine consecutive quarters. Well, that fourth quarter against Edmonton, they needed to be uh, they needed to be stopped after that 22 nothing lead, and the Bombers' defense. Took him out.
2: Bombers were leading 20-17 to at the half Thursday night versus Montreal. We know by now what Zach Kleros did in that first half. Do we need to reiterate it? Okay, I will. Three interceptions, two of those for touchdowns, pick sixes. But then in the second half, it was the Zach Kleros show and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers just simply locked down the Alouettes What was more important uh, to you know, 27 unanswered points in that second half or the fact that the, the blue bomber defense gave up nothing.
0: I think, I think it's the blue bomber defense. I just think of it in the way of, okay, there's a hole in the boat. Let's not let it take on any water. The bombers defense wouldn't allow them to take on any water. Okay. So we're not going to sink you guys. Now you guys can, the offense, you can start paddling toward the shore because we got this. We're going to, we're not going to let anything get in here, right? It was just it, the defense allowed three points. Three, three. Like it was, it was remarkable. Sometimes it passes quietly when, uh, when we're calling the games and when you're, when you're in halftime in the games, you go, Oh, yeah, they have been unbelievable. <laughs> after, uh, after what 15 nothing in the Edmonton game, okay, but then Kalaris throws the, the pick six and you know, 22 nothing it was one touchdown the rest of the way because they absolutely positively needed it um they'd suffocated the bc lions um the only thing that kind of hampered them in that well it, the ottawa loss right was a pick six from from calaris and then an offense that couldn't stay on the field and the bombers defense was on that in that fourth quarter for 26 plays which was the second most in a quarter in the mike O'Shea era you know well, that's not the defense's problem either. As much as they couldn't stop uh, uh, Dustin Crum and company, they couldn't stop the Crumb back, as it were. Uh, that was the offense. You go, oh, man, if, if both phases work, you get the 50-pointer win- uh, against BC. And that's, that's always in the holster. So as they go forward, like they are not – they're not their best game. I think beats anybody's best game in the Canadian Football League, including Toronto, which only has one loss this season.
2: Yeah, Toronto uh, still looking pretty good. That game against Calgary. Was, uh, you know, if you're not a Blue Bomber fan or if you're able to put your fandom aside, that was the game of the week. Calgary uh, pushing Toronto to the limit again, but Toronto still looking pretty good. Hamilton goes into BC and wins. We don't need to spend any time on either what of those. Games. Like, come on, what's going on there? But Trey Ford, uh, some props to Trey Ford as a as a quarterback who's, you know, you talk about a quarterback that didn't start the season as the starting quarterback, uh, unless he gets, I'm not even going to jinx a, an Edmonton quarterback with the word I was going to use there. Trey Ford is the starting quarterback until fill in the blank. Derek Taylor.
0: Yeah. Um, Joe Burrow leaves Cincinnati and comes to the <laughs> CFL. <They're> like, <laughs> it, it's, it's incredible to watch that. Right. And you go, and this is why this is why i always find the interaction between coaches and fans funny because coaches rightly go i know more than fans do but then they have just incredibly obvious blind spots to stuff and go how could how could a smart professional football mind have go have for eight games gone? you know what we should do is not try this kid and we're gonna go with this giant big armed runner who is not the least bit accurate and has proven it over, I don't know, eight hundred dropbacks and we're 0 and eight and yeah, we're just gonna keep rolling up the same thing. I just it's it's incredible, which which as you know, as fans, we get to go, oh, you know what, we were smarter than you are on this one. I couldn't do the ten thousand other things in your job, but I thought it would be a great idea to try Trey Ford and you ran out someone named Jared Deggy instead. Like, it's just – it's an incredible story, and it's a testament to, uh, to Trey Ford, who, uh, who said, oh, I think we got a little passive in the end of that Winnipeg game. He was kind of feeling his oats at that point. Uh, and little did we know two two big wins were to come right after that. But just – it's a testament to Ford of – it that just feels like being totally disrespected for when – I can only imagine if you if you were a professional athlete and you you immediately think you are excellent at what you do right you have nothing you you do not lack confidence as a professional athlete I wouldn't expect and to have to watch and go they're putting this out there instead of me they're doing this instead of play what are they, what's happening here i i the, the fortitude it, it took for him and maybe maybe it's Maybe it's Ford. Maybe it's switching offensive coordinators to Jarius Jackson. I couldn't tell you which one is more important or more impactful, but Ford's going to get all the love for all the reasons that we know, right? Canadian scrambling quarterback, and, and they're winning football games, and no one has to talk about 22-game home losing streaks anymore. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness. But w- whatever's to be whatever's to be credited in, in Edmonton, a great deal that has to go to Trey Ford, and I'm just so happy that, you know, we as fans of, of the game get a young Canadian kid doing it. And, a, and the guy who, you know, Chris Jones four weeks ago was saying he needs to, he, he needs to be even better in practice. Hmm.
2: Practice. Uh-huh. You want to talk about
0: I, I practice? Coach, coach needed to pull the trigger on, uh, on number two a little earlier. Maybe throw him out in game number four when you were 0-3 and it didn't look good. And your quarterback was one hopping out patterns at, 4 yards depth. Maybe that was the time. Maybe Look. when he was throwing left-handed balls to the opposition. Maybe that was the time to go to Treyport. I don't know. Uh like I say, the 10,000 other things I couldn't do but the one the one that uh the one that we get as fans were like we knew at the time that was the play. It gives it, it gives us a nice feeling of superiority.
2: Uh, and you know loyalty to a fault, uh, maybe on Chris Jones's fault, but uh, pardon me on uh, Chris Jones's part. 7.37, 7.38, or in this case, 7.40. Tuesday morning means breakfast with the Bombers. Brought to you by Cooperators Investing in Your Future Together. So the countdown is on to a weekend that draws Blue Bomber fans into enemy territory every single year, Lorraine.
3: The Labor Day Classic 5 sleeps away, and we know Saskatchewan Rough Riders and their fans are looking to take our team down. As Irving, Bob Irving told us yesterday, you know, it's always tough going into Mosaic. But... Either way, no matter how that game goes, there's something special, love it or hate it, about this rivalry, Greg, something special about this weekend that has people willing to make that six, seven, eight hour trip.
2: That's right. So today we want to introduce you to someone who, along with the help of another fan, have made it their business to bring as many Blue Bomber fans as possible to Regina. We say good morning to Ken Burns of All Star Tours. Ken, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. Good morning. So how many buses, got to know, how many buses do you have going to Regina this weekend? Just two. Now you say just two. uh, I I sense that perhaps you've taken more in the past, or perhaps you could have taken more this year.
1: Well, we've taken three many times. We're going to take three uh, next year, the next couple of years for sure. The demand's been there. One time we took six buses, and then uh, we couldn't get enough tickets after that because the the Riders actually won the Great Cup in 2007, and it kind of kind of limited our ticket sales but uh yeah no it's a good time every year and everybody keeps coming back so good
3: your good time this good time you're now giving to blue bombers fans started with your good time at least 20 years ago ken tell us how this came about with you and brett uh,
1: 2001 i met brett and then became very good friends and i found out he was friends with my uh, half brother from a, another story there but uh it was really coincidence. And we're on this bus and it's boring. People are knitting and reading and I'm going, I could run a better trip. And he goes, well, I could fill the bus. And I go, well, let's do it. And that was, uh, you know, 22 years ago. So we've been running them ever since.
3: This is a great story, Ken. I want to just ask, are you on a speakerphone? And if yes, if you could just switch off? Will do. Perfect. That's great. Because I want to recap that story. You, Because you and Brett, who now run these tours, you were strangers, right? You met in a bus Found the trip boring and thought you could make a better, funner, funner, more fun trip.
2: That works. So for those that haven't been, tell us how much funner it is. Like there's not, not anything much more fun than getting no. together for one of these trips. Is there, Ken? Like just, just tell well, us. Yeah, about well, how-
1: no, we're football fans. We were, t- you know, combined. We were probably over 25 years, season ticket holders, been to several great cups and, uh, now we're almost 60, 70 years of season ticket holders combined, and uh, we know what a football fan wants and what they expect, what kind of you know environment they want, and uh, it's high energy, a lot of fun, It's some music going, it's party atmosphere, and I could tell you stories of people met on our bus and got married. Uh, father-daughter came out, the father packed it in after 10 years, the daughter still comes on our trip, she brings her fiancé now, she's in her 30s. It's... it's uh, it just just kept growing. And uh, I'd say out of 100 and people on our two buses, we have probably maybe 10 new people. The rest are all repeats. And, uh, yeah, we have some U-drives as well, maybe about 25, 30 of those.
3: I'm curious but, yeah. how many people can maybe did the tour like you and and Brett, you didn't know each other. And then you have these friends that you make at the game. How often do you hear that stories that strangers like those, like the story we shared from George strangers become this group, this close knit group, just because of the fun they had at the labor day classic.
1: Well, that's true. Yeah. Everybody, we keep the same groups together on each bus because they know each other really well. We uh, group seat them at the game and group seat them on the bus so they can communicate all along and we can get them on the same floor, even helps in the hotel and, yeah we have a great downtown hotel high end and uh, everybody likes it and yeah and that's stag weekends girls' weekends traditional you know and we've got some big uh, big bomber fans on there, golden boy bomber girl chicken man like they 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 love us and they keep going back and we love them so all
2: good. What's amazing is there's thousands of people listening right now, and many of them know exactly who you're speaking about in code. What sounds like code, <laughs> and all these individuals and these super fans that participate. Uh, have you seen a change, Ken, over the years? Like you know, so so many women are are into football and the Blue Bombers, and 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 have you seen a, a change in in the dynamic and in terms of the demographic of who likes to come on these tours?
1: Sure. It was probably 80-20, uh, and now it's probably 60-40-ish, maybe 35. But, uh, no, it's, uh, they're having a good time, and we know what we're doing, and and they keep coming back. We have a tailgate party that's put out there special for us with a buddy who's about 150 yards away from the stadium. We go backyard tailgate party, Wayne's World it's called. So you know, people know Labor Day,
2: they know Wings World. I have pictures. I have video. I was there last year. It was an absolute, <laughs> an, absolute an absolute blast, Ken. Go ahead, Lorraine.
3: So you have two buses going that this weekend. That's how many people? That's 100. So 100 people going and you're sold out. You're hoping to do three buses next year. So if people are looking to get in on the action early, you told me last night you're going to start buying those tickets for next year just in a couple of weeks' times if you can. Ken, uh, where do they go for more information?
1: Uh all on uh on the net and um yeah we were sold out in three weeks in March. It was just gone and uh I think you guys went about mid June, so the demand has actually never been higher.
2: We love our Blue Bombers. Saskatchewan loves their Riders. It makes for a fantastic weekend. Lots of fun. Who knew you could have so much fun in the city of Regina? But uh, <laughs> it, it really does happen. Ken, thanks for this. Have a blast this weekend. We appreciate okay. your we appreciate your time and uh, what you're doing to bring Blue Bomber fans uh, together and into the heart of Riderville. Appreciate it.
1: Okay, have give us a call in March, not now.
2: <laughs> sounds good, partner. <laughs> yeah, <it> sounds great. <laughs> I know you do your math to about uh, four decimal points. So forgive me for rounding to uh hundred uh, based on uh, the, my rounding skills. James Butler of Hamilton, 638. AJ Willette, 631. We're going to round those down to 600. Okay. I know that's rough math, but Brady Oliveira, essentially 50% ahead of of any other running back in the league. And we're talking about a guy who didn't get things going until the seventh game last year, finished with 1,001 yards rushing last season, and now he is far and away got the most yards rushing in the Canadian Football League. But I loved the conversation you were having in that post-game show on Thursday night, and that was the question of, is Brady Oliveira the best running back in the CFL, or has Brady Oliveira got the most rushing yards in the Canadian Football League because he plays for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers?
0: And this is where this is where I come to it. Um you see year over year, it isn't often that the same guy repeats as the rushing champion in the Canadian Football League. So I so I take that to mean that. There are there are things more important in the running game than who the particular running back is. There's there's his blocking. There's the scheme, you know, and the run plays that are called. And then somewhere down the line is is the quality of the running back. Uh, the gang at PFF they've d- they've done a ton of NFL work, and I think they've they've kind of they are much more advanced math minds than mine. And they have found that the particular running back is like seventh. In, in the order of important things that contribute to the run game. So it, to me, it's to me, hold on, hold on, hold
2: on DT. So on the make- list of things that make a running game or a runner pile up the yards, the body in the Jersey is the seventh most important thing.
0: That was, that was what they found because okay. things like blocking is incre- I mean, blocking is incredibly important. And there's probably, I, I couldn't name the six things I haven't seen if they've written a paper on it but like uh, personnel packages are probably super important the run plays that are called things like that um but what what it provides when you have the right back in the right system and I mean coach O'Shea when when he talks about Brady Oliveira and how hard Brady runs you go oh, okay I see I see why you you pick Brady in the draft and and I see why. When la- beginning of last year, we were like we were talking about when is Johnny Augustine gonna get some touches because Brady just had nine carries for eight yards against against uh, Calgary. When are they gonna start Johnny? Y- you finally saw it and you went, Oh, okay, this is what he wants. He wants the absolute monster running guys over back. And Brady, to his, to his credit, year over year, has added some craft into that as well, right? He's still the plow of a linebacker into the turf back. But he's now got that little little uh, uh, 360 spin off of contact where he falls forward for four more yards. And you go, well, that's a nice little addition, to This is exactly the back that they want for this system. And they feel like they've got the run-blocking offensive line that that can work with this. And, I mean, they're 264 yards clear. Uh, Brady is atop the, the rushing game. And you go, okay, could they do this if uh, – could they figure out a system if they had William Stanback there? Sure, Stanback's having an awful year in Montreal, but I be, I believe Stanback is a great CFL running back. Uh, Kenny Carey's been hurt, and you know they've had times where they haven't missed a missed a beat with with their backup, Dedrick Mills. I think he has 200 yard games. And you go, okay, well, it's not necessarily necessarily that uh, Brady is the best. I wouldn't say necessarily the best back in the Canadian Football League, but Brady is ideal for what the Bombers want to do. And then the other stuff, in addition to running, I, I think he is tremendous at. You watch him in in when he has to read and pick up blitzes, you go, oh, that seems like that's the right. Oh, look at that one. Okay. He he very much seems like he gets how to be a part of the passing game, and, and both in the protection and when he gets to, you know, do I have to protect? No, I can release. Okay, I can be the safety valve for Zach. Let's go um so yeah as to who is the best running back in the cfl i i i don't think it's brady but right now the bombers have the best running game in the cfl and that's that's kind of how i approach it as opposed to giving love to the back i i kind of make sure that i would as a gm i would make sure my offensive line is taken care of first let's say that and my offensive coordinator
2: yeah the nfl taken taking that approach for a long time right to, to a certain extent that offensive line since the,
0: since the 2000s right uh, uh denver started that when they put just randos in at running back and they ran for a thousand yards yes <laughs> uh, san con didn't he play, wasn't he a, a back at some point and had a thousand yard season because they could just do anything behind that offensive line they didn't have to spend any any uh Any money on their backs.
2: Yeah. And you're seeing that in a lot of NFL teams now that it's not the guy in the jersey necessarily. But I will say this you know, it's not that long ago, 2019, going into the NFL draft, Brady Oliveira's name was on the radar of some NFL teams. So, you know, we talk about him as an Oak Park guy goes to University of North Dakota, this isn't a matter of a guy who just was okay in his collegiate career, in his high school career. This is a guy who caught a lot of attention and not just in this part of the world.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, North Dakota, you're going to get noticed if you're, if you're in America. and I think the Bombers were only too happy to get him in the second round of, uh, of that draft. Uh, I said, I said, Sam Congato. He never played for the Broncos, but can I? Can we just go through this list for a moment?
2: Yeah, I would. Um, I, I'm fascinated by this because that name uh, didn't ring a bell, but I, I trusted you, so uh, shame on me.
0: No, no, he was another. He was another back that that kind of popped on the on the uh, NFL radar for years. So Terrell Davis was was a stud, but
3: yeah, he Terrell was great. Davis right? Was
0: not a, he was not a high draft pick, so he went okay. He had a 2,000 yard season in 1998. After that, someone named Orlandis Gary led them in rushing, and then Mike Anderson, who was a former, mm-hmm. I think, I think he used to be in the Navy, and he was a fullback essentially, ran for fifteen hundred yards. Uh, they draft Clinton Portis. He he plays for a couple of years. Two thousand four, Ruben Drones led them in uh, <laughs> led them in rushing. Then Mike Anderson again. Tatum Bell, Selvin Young, Peyton Hillis. Okay, that was a bad year, but Peyton Hillis. Was a guy who was on the cover of Madden in 2012 because he had such an incredible touchdown season for the the Browns. And it turns out, okay, he wasn't really a good running back. And then they're just you just string random names into it, and you go, if they could, if the 2,000 uh, the 2,000 Broncos can make Mike Anderson a thousand yard rusher, they may be onto something. <laughs> they might be onto something about how how running backs in the running game are pretty replaceable. So that's. That that's kind of driven my. I kind of wonder why more didn't pick up on it then. But then, maybe we don't give them enough credit for. NFL teams just kind of throw the next guy out there, and now we have what two of the best running backs in the league just changed teams, and a third one's looking for a trade because they're not going to get paid. It's it's we're in a neat era with the with the value of running backs, but there's uh, there's no giving up Brady Oliveira if you're the Bombers. He is. He is exactly what this, this team and this offense
2: wants. Well, I'd love to go through the list of Winnipeg Blue Bomber running backs uh, that that played and, and ran the ball in the Chris Walby era. Because if you're going to take that uh, same, same conversation uh, back about 30, 35 years and the you know, the Blue Bombers had some great backs, but they always had a tremendous offensive line. And so, you know, you've mm. got you've got me thinking and reminiscing now about some of the great names on that Winnipeg Blue Bomber offensive line in the mid-80s all the way, you know, through the 2000s and uh, some incredible running backs. And you just wonder how much of that were uh, offensive linemen that were just, uh, you know being paid way below their pay grade because they were opening holes for the likes of Robert Mims and Willard Reeves and Michael Richardson and, uh, and William Miller to go really far back into the archives.
0: Blaze Bryant. Blaze Bryant.
2: Yeah. Well, there you go.
0: 1,289 yards
2: on a really bad team, right?
0: (laughs) Pay, pay your offensive lineman. Just pay your offensive line. If I was a GM, uh, no chance in heck, but, I would I would pay my offensive lineman I I think the Hoggies deserve a lot more love than they, than they truly get
2: well uh, Dan Marino always bought his uh, offensive line uh, uh, isotoner gloves for Christmas if you if you believe the commercials
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: did you ever wear an isotoner glove no I don't, I'm not sure I did
2: no I, I don't know if I could pick one out of a lineup
0: Robert mims ran for 1769.
2: Like there there are some names and there's some running backs in the history of this club. And you just look back and you go... That had to have been Walby. That had to have been Gorrell and Bonk and Bastaya. And, and even like before that the Butch Norman and all these guys, like the, the blue bombers were really good at finding linebackers back in the day and offensive linemen. But of course, Chris Walby is here, what 13, 14 seasons, arguably the best offensive lineman in the history of the Canadian football league, let alone the history of the Winnipeg blue bombers. And the guy We were just talking about Brady Oliveira, of course, born and raised in Winnipeg, but so was Chris Walby. So imagine having that in your own backyard and a guy at his height, his size that could play hockey as well. He was a hell of an athlete.
0: (laughs) Well, and I just, just as we go through this list, I just look back because I remember Charles Roberts when I first moved to Winnipeg and every bomber fan who saw him remembers Charles Roberts and just looking at, you know, multiple 1500 year yard seasons, uh, but he's getting 300 carries a season, and you go, well, that's that's not happening anymore. Football's moved away from one guy gets 300 carries. I'm not, I'd have to check, but 200 carry seasons are not are not super common anymore. If if Brady were somehow to get 300 carries this season, he'd be on pace for, for 2,000 yards. No. Yeah. Well, because he says a, five, is he at seven. Or oh, he's
2: five seven. Okay. Okay. okay.
0: I think it's five seven or five eight per carry, but three hundred carries if if they did use them like that. Um, but we've we've transitioned to short passing, control the the ball, and then it's taken away some of the run game. But honestly, as much as as much as I am not a proponent of the run game and, and think that uh, people are kind of uh, misdirected on on what the importance of the run game is in professional football these days, it's. So much fun to see a run game working, isn't it? Oh. Like, watch those guys shoving bodies out of the way and then Brady dropping the hammer on some linebacker in the second level or, heaven forbid, a halfback tries to come up and get him on that second level. That is – I don't know if it's any more fun than that. Um, it's it's pretty great. And can I throw you one more nerd point about the run game just while we're doing this? Of course. This this goes back to the, the gang at Pro Football Focus, and this is where – uh they they kind of looked at you know what Pro Football Focus does for folks who don't know, they they analyze every player on every play on every game in every game. And that's that's how they say they approach it. Um what what they found in their research was that the best play you could possibly have in football is a perfectly blocked running play. If everybody blocks makes a perfect block, the running play is gonna be the best play, followed by a perfectly blocked passing play. And then, you know, then it's if, if one breaks down, the passing play is better. If two break down, the passing play is better. If three break down, probably everybody's totally pooched in that scenario. But a perfectly blocked running play is the best in the CF, best play in professional football, at least in the NFL. You go, yeah, that's kind of kind of what it feels like. It feels – there's a special feeling when there's the perfectly blocked running play. Oh, my goodness. He's wide open. Brady scoring a touchdown this week, right? Wide to the end zone. Okay, beautiful. It's – it, it just even if it's not the most important thing um, to me, it's just above the punt that trickles out at the two yard line because I get inordinately excited about those for some reason. I don't know why, but I do. And I just I, I love the, I part of me loves the running game just absolutely loves to watch it go.
2: Yeah, well, you talk about inside the two. I remember Bob Cameron nailing a punt, I think, went out at Old Taylor Field at the one-yard line on Labor Day, and I can't remember if he was punting into or with the wind, but the wind was a huge factor. And, you know, I've seen how many thousand Blue Bomber plays in my life, and I would say that ranks in the top ten. So you and I geek out about some of the same stuff, Taylor. That's good to know. It's.
0: Oh, it's, yeah, it's so good. I love I love punters. And, man, uh, at some point, we'll do the Jamison Sheehan podcast and just talk about all the clubs we've seen in that cat's bag because, my goodness, those spinners, those sideways spinners are a delight.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure uh, we've all caught on to what he's trying to do. Did he just kick that purposefully or did he shank that? No, that's all on purpose, isn't it, DT? I,
0: was, I had a little conversation with him last week and uh, all on purpose. All absolutely achieving, you know, going for some goal, whether to, you know, to get it out of bounds or to to entirely avoid the returner. Yeah, I, I'm not sure he's had any true shanks this season because he's just, punting is just a, a different game in 2023 versus even last year.
2: Yeah, even the way the guys drop the ball, you know, we're seeing a, a wide variety of ways. And is that, is that the Australian influence? Do you think that? That that's uh, why we're seeing this, or are we seeing that in in U.S. college football as well? Just a, you know, I I always think back to Reggie Roby of the Dolphins and the one-step punters, and and uh, the idea that that was a thing for a while, and then of course it was all about the hang time and the perfect spiral, and now to see guys kicking the ball purposefully in that purposefully with that helicopter spin just seems counterintuitive to me.
0: Yeah, it, it is the Aussie influence for sure. It's it invaded American college football a while back. And then, you know, Canadian, American, you know, guys who were born in Canada and America and wherever else look at it and go, "Oh, that's super cool and that's super effective in this spot and I never would have thought of that." But these kids who grew up in Australia were doing this as youngsters and now they're adults doing it and, "Oh, you know, they're pretty good at it and it works." Cool. It just kind of it's kind of opened up every punter's mind in every kicker's mind of, oh, okay, I should try some of this. And then, yeah, why why let – if you pretend you are an opposing uh, special teams coach. Why would you ever want Janarian Grant to touch the football? There's zero chance I want Janarian Grant to touch the football if I'm playing the Bombers. So let's figure out how to keep it away from him. Sideways spinner? Sounds good to me. Let's do it.
2: How long before we see a punter drop kick the ball and let it bounce on the ground first before they kick it like they do in soccer? <laughs> it,
0: it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if so, like honestly if someone was in a scramble situation where yeah. they're running for their life and and they thought this was the I had to do this because reason like yep okay I, I'm in I'm in. It would be,
2: it would be amazing.
0: It he drop that Doug. <laughs> Doug, I swear he drop that.
2: Doug Flutie it's probably, found. Doug Flutie probably did it in college. We just don't have the film on it. DT, exactly. let's, uh, let's call it an afternoon. Let's call it a day. Good luck with the call in Saskatchewan on, on Sunday. Um, anything on fantasy that we want to talk about before we fly?
0: Um, I- I've stacked BC this last week and obviously yeah, I get absolutely
2: <laughs> drilled doing that. Yeah. That's you a, and me both who, sinking like a stone. Have,
0: <laughs> yeah. Who who would have thought Jake Mayer was the quarterback to pick? Uh I'd probably go heavy BC this week. Either play Montreal. I I'd probably bet I'd probably go with the Vernon bounce back and the BC bounce back in the game, it kind of doesn't matter. Um yeah, I, I maybe I honestly I might stay away from bombers because it, you know, like we were talking earlier, Saskatchewan in at home for the Labor day, even with their offensive potential troubles. I, I'm afraid it could be tight from a fantasy perspective. I hope it's not, but I'm afraid it could be. So, uh, yeah, I, I'd probably go BC this week again.
2: I have no idea what time kickoff is on Sunday afternoon. Is it three o'clock local?
0: Ooh, let me, we are so far away from that still that
2: I haven't Have even thought about on it. Hold on. The old, well
0: the old calendar. Uh, it says six o'clock local. So five o'clock SAS time. We're, six? SAS six needs to get on. Six o'clock it says.
2: Six o'clock Can central. That right? I guess it is. It's what it says at CFL.ca. Uh, Kelly wow. Moore, our sports director. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess that means a four- four o'clock pregame show six o'clock kickoff it's like a saturday night so make sure your beer is cold the radio is close at hand and uh, just in case make sure you have batteries for the transistor radio because who knows what mother nature has in store even though the forecast is pretty spectacular as we speak yep heading into the long weekend all right dt safe travels we'll catch up with you next week brother Thanks, brother. So that's it. Don't forget to download, subscribe, and share the Blue Bomber podcast. And also, in case you didn't already know, Monday night's Coach's Show with Derek Taylor and Mike O'Shea will be automatically uploaded to the Blue Bomber podcast. So if you want to catch a rerun of that or catch it and listen to it at your leisure, you can do so by subscribing to the Blue Bomber podcast. We will recap. This week's game, next week, and look ahead in the Canadian Football League, focusing on, of course, your Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Thank you for spending some time with us.